Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 95? Psalm 95. The psalm today is uh, talking about this idea of worship, the principle of worship. And it's interesting that the psalm teaches us how to worship, it teaches us why we should worship, and then it teaches us or gives us a warning when it comes to worship. Uh, A church is a body of believers that come together to, to worship the King. And today, I pray that uh, Christ would be worshipped and magnified and exalted. It's a shame in many churches today where there are worship wars, wars over the style of worship or uh, type of chairs or the scenery, all these things. And people come in oftentimes to churches thinking about what they're going to get out of it. And they forget about what real worship is. Worship is God ushering us into his presence and bringing us into community with one another and into community with him. What an awesome privilege that we have. So this morning I pray that uh, we would learn about how to worship. We would learn that uh, why we should worship. And we would learn and be warned against false worship. Here's the word of the Lord. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, in the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hand formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is Lord, a God. We are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah. As on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my works. For 40 years, I loathed this generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I have sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, I pray this morning as we have an opportunity to, to look at this psalm, I pray that you would teach us truth. I pray that you would teach us about yourself because, Lord, uh, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are the content of our worship today. So help us to magnify you. Father, help us to be wise to the cautions that you give us when you give us about coming into worship this morning. And I pray that we would walk out if you're magnifying your son in gratitude for all that he has done. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Okay, this uh, psalm breaks down into four sections, and we want to work our way through the four sections this morning. Now, the first section is found in verse 1 through 2, and that is the call to worship, a call to worship. And if you look here in these first two verses, it says, O come, and this is an invitation. God is inviting us into his presence. He says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Uh, joy and exuberance is just filling this worship service here. This is not just a blasé service. This is deep and exuberant worship right from the heart of people. And you could see this exuberance. If you saw temple worship, you would hear the exuberance. You would hear the passion that is there. There is an energy. There's emotion that's behind it. This is deep and intimate Sometimes we go into a church and it's like you just feel almost dead and it's like, you know, you sing the songs and you're mouthing the words, but there is no passion from within. That is not the type of worship that the psalmist is calling us to. He is calling us to an exuberant worship, but he's also calling us to a joyful worship. He says, come, let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of my salvation. And it's talking about joy. Joy is this happiness that is based on the unchanging principles of who God is and the external realities and the spiritual realities of life. Those realities and those promises do not change regardless of your circumstances. Joy is not the result of some favorable thing in your life. Joy is not the result of good circumstances. Sometimes you could actually have joy in the midst of the most painful and most difficult circumstances in your life. And joy is this wonderful gift that God has given his believers that, in fact, when you think about it, there is no one on this earth that experiences joy like a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should experience joy. It is produced by the Holy Spirit deep in your heart and your life. And I pray that you would know this kind of joy, that you walk into this worship service, even as we were talking about our brother um, uh, Dan, who's struggling right now physically, but he can have this joy and this peace in the midst of the trials and the troubles. That is what God says to you is available to you that is in Christ Jesus. I was thinking about what is it that hinders people's joy in the midst of the struggles that they have. And and for some of us, we struggle with just complaining. We're going to see that a little bit later in this passage, that you are a a complainer, that these things just kind of ramp up in your life and you, you start to grumble inside and you start to murmur inside and then you find yourself complaining outwardly. And then what ends up happening is, is that all the joy is sapped. It is just Uh, diminished in your life. I don't know if that's you. For some of us, we procrastinate. We put off doing the things that we need to do. And when we are called to account, we find ourselves lacking in joy in our lives. For some of us, we are seeking the approval of other people desperately needy for approval from others. And I need your love. I need your acceptance. I need your approval. And what ends up happening is that that type of person is going to lack joy because they're constantly looking horizontally for joy when the joy really should be coming vertically and deep from within. For some of us, we we struggle with keeping our word. We don't keep our commitments. And when we don't keep our commitments and once again called to task, like tomorrow when we go to work, we find ourselves lacking in joy in our lives. For some of us, we get so attached to the circumstances 
the circumstances around us, as soon as there's a change in the circumstance, as soon as there's a change in the situation, we find our joy lacking. We struggle immensely with change for some of us. And when that happens, we find ourselves getting overwhelmed. For some here, you live in the past. You live in the past hurts, in the past pains, in the past wrongs, and as that past dominates your life, it hinders the joy that God wants to give for you. For some of us, we fear the future. For some of us, we lack prayer. I don't know if any of those characteristics sounded like you, but if those are characteristics that are part of your life, it is going to hinder your joy. And when the psalmist is saying, let's come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise, it's all those circumstances that are happening around you are not dominant. God is dominant in your life. So I find myself uh, with my life that when these elements have happened in my life, I find my joy has diminished. The greatest thing that I think steals my joy is, is disbelief. That God tells me one thing, but my circumstances tell me something different, and I choose to believe the circumstances around me or my beliefs within rather than what God has said to me and about me. I desperately need to hear God's word. I need to believe God's word. I need to be dominated by God's word in my life. I find myself as well, and maybe you struggle at times with disobedience, knowing that God says no, and I choose to do whatever I want. And inevitably, that is going to steal joy in your life. Depression, despair are going to come from this fact that I have been told this thing, I choose not to do this thing, And I go against God's word, and it's going to bring a lack of joy in my life. Disbelief, disobedience, distraction. Sometimes I get so distracted by what happens around, maybe you do as well. And a clear element of deception. That God tells us truth and we believe lies over and over and over again. And all of those things can steal your joy. So he talks about this as being exuberant worship. He talks about this being a joyful worship. He talks about this being a communal worship. He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. In verse 2, let us come together. There is this element today where people believe that they can worship God and they do not need a church body that I can worship God by turning on my TV in the morning, then that is not worship. That God wants you to come together. We could worship, yes. I could worship privately in, in the things that I do by opening God's word and by praying to God. But what God has called you to do is to come together as a body of believers to, to usher into his presence as a communal body. He's saying, let us come together. Do not forsake that time with one another. This worship is exuberant, this worship is joyful, this worship is communal, but this worship is about entering into his presence. What an awesome privilege we have this morning to come into the presence of God. He is calling us to worship. Hold your finger there and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's interesting, the writer to the Hebrews um, wrote... In just chapters 3 and 4, they quoted this passage five times, uh, this psalm five times. But I'm going to be looking at chapter 10, and I would like us to look at verses 19 and following. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following. 
I love hearing the rustling of those pages. <laughs> you don't hear that on the phones. <laughs> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the new and a, a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have this great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. And let us Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you understand the awesome privilege that we have to not just come into a building, but to come into a worship of God, that he is calling us to this worship. He is inviting you into his presence today, and that only comes by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not come by anything other than Him. This worship is exuberant. This worship is joyful. This worship is communal. This worship is entering into His presence. You can come confidently. You're drawing near deeply. And this worship is to be a thankful worship. When, when you recognize what God has done for us, what does it mean that God brought us into his presence? One of my favorite authors, R.C. Sproul, wrote this book, and it was entitled, Saved from What? And it came from this situation where he had a person who came and said, are you saved? And R.C. asked a question in his own mind and then asked this person, saved from what? And the Christian that was there stammered. He struggled, and it was like, well, he couldn't really figure out. He had the Christian jargon down, but he didn't have the Christian theology down. That we are saved from the wrath of God because Jesus Christ bore God's wrath for us on the cross. That when he bled and he died, we stand in his righteousness. We come into God's presence through the path of the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone, that God has wrath every single day for our sins, but that sin can be atoned for in Christ, that you enter confidently in his presence, not because of anything in your life, but because of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we can understand that, we can enter confidently because we come in the confidence of Christ, but we can also enter thankfully. That thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening my eyes and drawing me to faith. This worship must be a thankful worship. But the last thing I want you to consider about this call to worship is it is costly. It's a costly invitation. That God brings you into his presence, but it cost the very blood of his Son to bring you into his presence. You enter a building today. But what God is calling you to do is to enter into his presence, and you only do that by the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. This exuberant worship, this joyful worship, this worship that is so focused on this communal body, this worship it's, it's entering into his presence, this worship that is a confident thankfulness that's happening in my heart, is this costly invitation that God is calling you to. It cost him his son 
to bring you into fellowship with him. So when we come to worship this morning, I need you to think about this call to worship. Services often begin with calls to worship, and it is God entering and calling you to his worship time. He is calling you to do that today. But there's a second thing I want you to think about. Not only this call to worship, but the content of your worship. The content of the worship. Look with me here in verse 3. And the very first word in my translation is the word for. And what he is saying is this, that here's the reason, here's the causal reason for worship. This is what we do in worship, but now there's a causal reason. Why do we do it? What's the purpose of our worship? What is the content of our worship? And he says, for the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. In essence, from verses 3 to 7, he is going to talk to you about the creator God and the redeemer God. I'm going to pull out some points under those two themes, but it's primarily he's worshiping God as a creator and he's worshiping God as our redeemer. But let's look at this first element. I believe that under here I see that God is this great God. He is the powerful God. He says, for the Lord is a great God. Someone wrote this book once, when people are big, God is what? Small. I don't know how big your God is today, but, but this God, the psalmist was saying, he could go into worship because this God is a great God. He is supreme. He is above all. He is over all. He rules all. That is the type of God that he is coming to today. Is your God a big God today? He's not only this powerful God, this amazing God, but he's also this preeminent God. It says, for the Lord God is great, and he's great king above all gods. Above all gods. He is preeminent. He is sovereign. He is majestic. There are other gods in this world, but no one is like the God of the Scriptures. I find it interesting here that he talks about the fact that they're above all gods. And it, it takes on this element of this, that humanity are worshipers. Every single person in this world worships someone or something. They make someone or something big. A lot of times we will make ourselves big. For others, what we will do is we will make materialism big, sex big, um, money big. Maybe for some of us, sports big. I don't know what it is for you. Work may be big. Success may be big. Maybe even your phones may be big. It may be bigger than God. And what God is saying is this, I want to not only be powerful, but I want to be preeminent. I am preeminent. I am above all other gods in this world. So he is a powerful God. He is a preeminent God, but he is also a purposeful God. He is the creator. It says here in verse uh, 4, in his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed dry land. He, the psalmist is going back to the very creation in Genesis chapter 1, and he's saying that this God is the creator God, and he goes, he see the extremities. He goes from the depths of the earth to the heights of the mountains. He's saying that God surpasses even that. This is the creator God who's created all things. He rules over all things. He owns all things. He sustains all things. This is the God that we're called to worship this morning. 
that this God is this powerful God. This God is this preeminent God, but this God is a purposeful God in the fact that he's created. He's a creator God. But then the psalmist moves to the fact that this is not only a creator God, he's a redeeming God. Look with me in verse 6. It says this, Oh, let us come and worship. Let us bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. That God is not only a powerful God and preeminent and purposeful, but he is a God who's personal to you. That if you know him as your Lord and Savior, he has given you your salvation, verse 1. He has given, he is your maker. He is our God, verse 7. We are his people. He is a personal God. I was speaking with a friend um, recently after one of our services, and they were talking about the fact that they really didn't believe anything that was preached in that service. It's kind of unusual that somebody walks down and talks about, I didn't believe anything that you just said. And here are the points. I believe in a God who is there, but it's not personal. He has taken his hands off of this world. There is no personality to him, no love, no compassion, none of that. He is the power force, and we are subordinate. And as I sat and talked to this person who, who was deeply sincere about this, they were missing the personal element of God. That God is not just a God above, he is a God who has come near to us in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he has come near to us, he wants you to experience his love, his grace, his compassion. In John 1.14 it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we received his glory, the glory of the one and true God, full of grace and truth. That God came down to dwell among you, he knows you. So he is this personal God, but he is also this promise-keeping God. Over and over again in this, ver- in this uh, psalm, he uses the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And you know this, that that is the covenantal name of God. He has kept his promise to you. That if you are in Christ, he has promised that he will never leave you and never forsake you. He gave his name to the Israelites, that this is who I am. I am making a covenant with you that you may go astray, but I will never leave you. I will never forsake you because of God's promise to you. And that's what he offers for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has offered his promise to you, and he is a faithful God, and he cannot break his word. And so so God, in this redeeming sense, he is a personal God, but he's a promise-keeping God. I can trust him. And that is the God we should worship. I also see here that he is a protective God. Look here in verse 7. He says, for he is our God and we are the, what? People of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You know that theme of shepherding throughout the scriptures. Um, The Old Testament talked about elders and pastors being shepherds. And it talked about in the New Testament that Jesus Christ, in, in fact, in John chapter 10, if you remember in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, that Jesus Christ is the ultimate shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. He talks about being a shepherd that is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He calls his sheep. He cares for his sheep. There is a protection that the God wants to provide for you. 
you that if you are in Christ, God feeds you, he cares for you, he nurtures you, he leads you, he ultimately is protecting you. That that is the God that we are called to worship this morning. We are called to worship a God who is a promise keeper. We are called to worship a God who is personal to you. We are called to worship a God who is your protector. And then we are called to worship a God who offers you peace. Very last verse of the psalm. What does it say? They shall not enter my rest from the negative for those that have forsaken God. But take it from the other side. For those that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, for those that trust in God, God wants to enter you into his rest. He wants to bring you not only into rest and peace here on earth, he wants to give you rest and peace eternally with him. Where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, he wants to bring you into that harmony. And that only happens by the work of Christ alone. That you could enter rest in the fact that you could have peace of God in your life, but you are at also peace with God today. Is that the God that you're worshiping this morning? This God who is the creator God, this God who is the redeeming God, this God should be big in your life. So there's a call to worship. The content of our worship must be God and God alone. He is the only one who is our security. He's the only one who is our significance. He's the only one who is our satisfaction. He alone is who we should worship today. I want you to third look at the consecration of our worship. See, there's a call to worship and there's content to worship, but there's consecration. Look in verse 6, it says this. It's the second time there's a call to worship in the psalm. And he says this, Let us worship, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our God and Maker. And in the Hebrew, those three words are um, all talking about this idea of reverence, this idea of bowing down. In fact, the word worship means to, to prostrate yourself. And then it talks about bowing down and kneeling. For some of us, we came from a uh, tradition where we would stand up during certain times and then we would kneel at other times and we would do this by rote throughout the church service. And it really meant nothing. It was just activities that we would do externally. But what it is saying here is that that's not what we're talking about with worship. What we're talking about with worship is that we are just so overwhelmed with who God is that we just bow down before him. We are just so overwhelmed. We present ourselves. You remember in Romans chapter 12, it says this. It says that if we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, remember, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship, that God wants you to present yourself and give yourself and dedicate yourself. There's a humility that is there. There's a hallowing that is there that, God, I humble myself before you. This idea of consecration in the Old Testament was done for these spiritual leaders, but the New Testament talks about consecration not just for the spiritual leaders, but it is for all believers that we're called to consecrate our lives and bring them before God. It's the basis of everything that we do, that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, humble and acceptable to Him. So you dedicate your life before him. You bring your life before him. You ascribe to the Lord, as the psalmist said, Psalm 96. It says, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering, your life, 
and come to His courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. There's so many people today that struggle with a a general fear of God. And they miss out on this fact that we can come in this consecrated worship confidently because of what God has done. We move from terror and we move from dread and we move from fear of God to this astonishment that he's drawn us into his presence, this awe, this dedication, this devotion. I move from holy fear of God to his holy love and I understand that I can come by the cross, I can come by the blood and I can understand God's amazing kindness to me. And if Jesus Christ could lay down his life and consecrate his life for me, with his Father, why can't I do the same? See, our worship would change if we recognize that we've been called into the presence of God. Our worship would change if we understand the content of our worship. It has to be about God alone. Our worship would change if we could understand that we need to consecrate ourselves as you prepare to come into the church service in the morning. Maybe you would even consider coming here a little bit early, sitting in the chairs, praying before God, open my eyes, Lord, let me hear what you are going to say to me today, and then help me to live in a way that's going to honor you and consecrate your life. Put your life up on the platform on that altar and recognize that you put your life on an altar not to earn anything. Jesus Christ already paid the price, the ultimate price on the altar. We lay our lives as an altar as a submission to God and say, you've given me everything. I think it was in Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, it says that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and he gave his life for me. A call to worship, the content of our worship, the consecration of our worship, and then finally the caution of our worship. The caution. It's interesting that he goes from the heights in this incredible psalm of joy and exuberant joy and grace and amazing worship And then he says today, verse 7, right at the um, end of verse 7, today, if you hear my voice, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. Now, you may be familiar with that. That is back to the Old Testament times where they were in the wilderness and there was one time where they, were, they had already come through the Red Sea and now they're thirsty and they start to grumble and they start to complain and they're calling before Moses and they're trying to demean Moses and then what Moses does is he goes to God and God says, I want you to strike the rock and God, he struck the rock with the staff and water poured out. And, and soon after, um, not only were they grumbling and complaining, but they were also testing God. And I believe that what God is doing here is calling us to be very careful of a, a several things in worship. The first thing is this. He says today, end of verse 7, if you hear his voice, and the first thing that we struggle with is that uh, we're not worshiping when we're not hearing God's word. See, it's, it's one thing for some of us as we're looking, as I look out at this community of believers, hopefully I'm telling you God's word and hopefully you're hearing it today, but this cannot be the only time that you hear God's word this week. 
You need to be in God's Word day after day after day. And it's not only hearing God's Word, but you need to learn God's Word. You need to love God's Word. You need to live God's Word. There is an element that if I hear God's Word and then I refuse to obey God's Word, it will lead to a hardening of my heart. And, and what the psalmist here is saying is this, and it may even be God's voice speaking here, it's this idea of you listen to God's word in a way to hear from him. There's a form of listening where it goes in one ear and out the other. That's not the type of listening he's calling for here. He is talking about a listening where you are meditating on it. You are learning about it. You are pondering it. You are studying it. You're meditating on it. You're rolling it around in your mind. Be very careful in the caution is of coming to worship and not hearing God's word and responding. But there's a second caution I believe he says here. It's not only hearing his word and not responding, do not harden your hearts, but then Mirabah was quarreling. In, number, in Exodus chapter 17, they were quarreling deep down. There are some of us that struggle deep down with this mindset of grumbling underneath. We are constantly criticizing, negating, negative over and over again about other people around us and then about God. And that grumbling and that complaining attitude which comes out is going to hinder your worship of God because you are making the things of earth big and you're missing God. So there are some of us that struggle because we do not hear God's voice. There's some of us that will struggle because we have this quarreling spirit within. There's some of us here that test God. God is the creator God. God is the redeeming God, but for some of us, we have taken the God of mercy and we put him at our mercy. G.K. Chesterton said that. You ever find yourself putting God below you, that you start to judge him, critique him, evaluate him, examine him, investigate him as though he is below you? What craziness that is. And that will hinder your worship this morning. And the type of person that is constantly testing God and trying to prove God and trying to make God do something for me as though God is your servant is missing the aspect of worship. So the person that doesn't hear God's word and respond, the person that has this quarreling and complaining spirit within, the person who tests God, and then finally the person who's just distracted. Verse 10. It says, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their hearts. For some, we will be distracted from our worship because we go astray. We're distracted by everything around us and we're missing God. And I will tell you that if you hear God's word and don't respond, if there's this quarreling spirit within you, if there's this testing spirit within you, And if there is the spirit within you that is just distracted, distracted by everything around and missing God, it will hinder your worship. So the psalmist says today, how do we worship God? We need to be worshiping God exuberantly and joyfully. We worship God by understanding we get this privilege of coming into his presence. And that was a costly thing to be brought into his presence. And that should just bring us great thanksgiving. 
we worship God as the content of our worship. We all, humanity, worship something. We are called to worship and elevate God and God alone and this creator God, this redeeming God who is there and present for you. That this worship must be a consecrated worship. That you need to be preparing yourself every day when you come before him. Lay yourself before the altar and say, God, here I am. Do with me what you want. Help me to bring glory and honor to your name. And then there's this caution in worship. Be very careful not to hear, not to miss his voice. Be very careful what's going on within. Be very careful of the testing. Be very careful of the distractions. I want you to know that he ends this psalm by talking about the fact that he loathes these people. What a scary word that the sovereign God would say, I loathe you. We, we believe today that God's primary, or some people believe today that God's primary and only characteristic is love. And they have forgotten that God is a God of holy wrath. He hates sin. I think we forget today that all of us are going to stand before his presence one day and have to give an account. And what God says is this, I have given you a way, John 3.16, what does that verse say? For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his what? One and only son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but come to eternal life. Do you know what John 3, 17 says? It says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, verse 18, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Today, we have the opportunity and the privilege to, to bow a knee before our Lord and God, our Maker, our Redeemer. And for some of us in this room, You've heard his word. You've quarreled within. You've tested him. You've been distracted, but you've never trusted him. I pray today is the day that you would bow your knee before the Lord so that you can experience the joy of salvation, the hope of understanding your maker and your redeemer. For many of us that are sitting in this room this morning, we already know him as redeemer, but we get distracted sometimes. And we lose the content of our worship. Go back. Don't get overwhelmed with your sin. Get overwhelmed with the Savior. Don't get overwhelmed with your guilt. Get overwhelmed with grace. Spend time looking at the God, the content of your worship, and magnify Him today. So Lord, we praise You. We thank You. Because Father, You're a good, good Father. That's who You are. I thank you for the fact that we are allowed to come into your presence, Lord. We're allowed to come into your presence through the precious blood of your Son and his work alone. Father, help us never to forget that. Help us to know that naked in our hands we bring, but simply to your cross we cling. Help us to know and be overwhelmed with the community of believers that we're not only worshiping here in Washington, New Jersey, but there are believers all over this world that are communing and connecting with one another, and we're all coming to worship you today. Help us to do that.
Help us to know that our significance, our security, and our satisfaction is found in one person, your son. Help us to be filled by your spirit. Help us to go out if you're not just hearing your word, but help us to live your word and help us to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.